everything in business is a gamble. People generally buy people. It's genius! We want an education What you're thinking, can you get the buy-in? You're listening to Forest FM, a salon business show with hosts Zoe Below Springer and Killian Vigna. For your industry, by your industry. In a recent episode with James Alba uh, talking about, you know, how to make your salon more sustainably conscious, he was saying how April being Earth Month and just generally speaking, you know, a change of season and all of that, April was a great time of the year to uh, challenge the processes in your salon, look at things that you could do differently or uh, implementing new processes and just looking at the data, looking at, you know, what's going well, what's not going so well and changing things. Um we had this thought planning the May episodes of Forest FM that uh, we could take some time to look back at where the industry came from, where it's at now, and what's to potentially come in the future. So it's not quite like James was saying, but that's what gave us the inspiration for this month's focus. And to do this, we'll be welcoming powerhouses from the industry uh, across the globe. So looking at Canada, US, Europe, and Australia about authenticity, uh, the risk-taking, it's about the creativity of people, and it's about the um, emotion. And you, you get all of this in our industry, especially with the professionals. And I enjoy being with them. I enjoy working with business owners, with the hairstylists. I enjoy all of that. And I enjoy trying to help them find solutions that I know I have. I'm not a hairdresser. I mean, I work in a hair salon. I'm not a hairdresser. I'm never going to pretend I can teach them how to hold a comb, you know, but I can help them with business. I think we all have a big suitcase of transferable knowledge. Uh, let's figure it out. You know, there's, uh, I always believe that a problem is a solution that we haven't found yet. Our first guest, Alain O'Day, has been working in the Canadian professional beauty industry for over 20 years. He comes to Forest as the newly appointed General Manager of Canada after spending the last three years as the Executive Director of the Allied Beauty Association of Canada, where he lobbied governments during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic to ensure that the professional beauty industry was included in relief programs and that return to work safety protocols would make sense. That's not even the tip of the iceberg. So without saying any more, let's hear from the man himself. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Elaine. It's a pleasure to have you. I've been saying this like five, ten times before we start recording. Please tell me I've got it right or somewhat close to it. You didn't call me alien, so it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I just need to remember not to slip into that one. Perfect. (laughs) Well, look, it's an absolute pleasure to have you join us on Forest uh, on Forest FM. While our listeners are dying to get to know a bit about you, I want to kick the show off with get really getting to know you. So over the last 12 months, there's been loads of changes with COVID, lockdown, everything like that. But taking that aside... What is something that you've picked up over the last 12 months, whether it's a, a new hobby, you've learned something new? What have you kind of picked up or learned in the last 12 months that you would never really thought you would have done beforehand? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I was very busy in the last 12 months. You know, a lot of people um, ended up not working. For me, uh, before being at Forest, I was at the Ally Beauty Association or 
known also as ABA Canada. And so we were advocating for salons to have uh, safe uh, return to work protocols and making sure that people would have the proper PPE available to them so they could operate and everything, talk to different governments, federally, provincially, uh, in French, in English, and having Zoom calls with uh, professionals, with the distributors, with the manufacturers. And so it was just like I kind of found that I had a um, a public voice that I <laughs> didn't know I had this uh, this much, you know. I studied in mass communication, but never really used it on uh, like radio, TV and everything, stuff like that. You know, I've done interviews before, but in the last year I was on, I don't know, 60 different radio shows that, or TV shows talking on behalf of mm. the beauty industry. So that's, that was not a hobby. It was just kind of like something you trained for when you're young and you never use. And then suddenly it's like, oh, you need it. So it's like <laughs> riding a bike. Suddenly I was off the little wheels and I just rode into the sunset. Thrown into the deep end. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what I'm getting from that is you've had 12 months of training and practicing for this moment on Forest FM. And now yes. it's your time to shine. <laughs> okay, just put the pressure on myself here. <laughs> well, um, I guess because we uh, touched upon it just a little bit there with you mentioning that before being with Forest, you were um, at the ABA. Can you give us a bit about um, your background, just like a, a run through of like where you've been at um, you know, how you got into the industry, what got you maybe into the industry even and uh, your journey until today? Okay, I'll try to keep it short to a certain extent. <laughs> so it all started when I was young. I ended up being a model just because I'm tall. And uh, so people, uh, so I was a model, but I studied in mass communication. And then when I came out, came out of university, there was actually very few jobs available that were interesting. So I took a makeup artist course with one of the best known makeup artists in Canada and ended up working for Shiseido as a makeup artist at uh, their Eaton's makeup counter. So traveling across the province doing those makeup events. And a weekend, a friend of mine who owned a hair salon, uh, I was coming for dinner and uh, he was very tired and said, what's going on? He says, oh, I, my assistant just flicked out on me today and I was al alone the whole day. So I was like, well, you should have called me, I would have gone to help you. Next weekend, he's like, well, I need you. <laughs> so I went from... <laughs> From makeup artist to hairdresser. So I was a colorist. I was, I've learned how to apply color, how to mix color, how to do perms and all that stuff. And I did that for a year and a half until at the same time I was teaching at La Salle International Fashion School, uh, fashion marketing and business. So that was really my, my real job was that by then. And the other one was the other ones on my part-time job or my, I would, I, I used to call them my adult job was working in a salon and my non-adult job was teaching in college. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was just about the people I was interacting with. I think that's, uh, that's what it was. And so it was creative and less creative. But then I ended up in Singapore working, uh, heading the marketing department, the business marketing department of La Salle International Fashion School. Things took me from there to head the buying department of high-end fashion until the summer where uh, Lady Dai uh, and uh, Gianni Versace got uh, murdered and um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mother Teresa died. I don't know if any of the three had any influence, but that's the summer the currency crashed hmm. in uh, all the currencies, Asian currencies crashed. So expat jobs just disappeared and I came back to Canada. I worked with Parasuco Jeans and then I ended up applying for a job at L'Oreal. 
Uh, more on the education side, when I show up at the interview, they says, well, we need somebody who knows how to sell expensive stuff, luxury products. We want to launch Kerastase in Canada. Are you interested? So that was my return in the uh, professional beauty industry. So I launched Kerastase in Canada, did that for a couple of years. Then I decided to launch my own consulting, business consulting business. So work with salons, spas, manufacturers, distributors for about 12 years. Went back to, uh, started as a contract, but ended up like another three and a half years at L'Oreal as a director of salon development for the whole professional product division in Canada. Hmm. And then the ABA called me and said, we'd like you to become our executive director. I said, no first. They called me again. I said, no again. <laughs> They called me one, a third time. And then I said, yes. And I was there for the last three years until... Talk about playing hard to get. I was not sure it was the right place for me to be, but it turned out to be the right place. What were you unsure about? Uh, <clears throat> I was not sure that at that point that advocacy, that association work, not-for-profit, being the voice of representing people, I, I was not sure I had the, I was the right person. I think it was more doubting myself. Mm. And uh, then actually the capacity of doing it. Mm. And then when I finally decided, okay, yes, I'll, I'll, yeah, it's the right thing for me. It's the right place for me to be. And uh, so I jumped in and it was quite the ride, you know, and COVID did not help. COVID actually did not help at all. Yeah. And, uh, but things come out on, on the bright side and uh, then started conversing with uh, Ronan and this opportunity of taking the job here in Canada came up. Which is great. We're so happy to have you. Thank And you. I'm also personally happy to have you because now I'm not the only one in Canada working <laughs> at Forest. <laughs> like 15 minutes away from each other as well, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is like two subway stations away. Yeah, exactly. Alay, <laughs> there's one thing I'm really interested that you said there. Yeah. You said um, you refused a job two, three times because you just didn't feel like you were the right fit or that you would be able to do it, which kind of brings us to like imposter syndrome and kind of that confidence gap, which is is so apparent. Um, how close were you to just full on not taking the job? But what was it that made you turn around and go, you know what, maybe I do need to do this. Maybe I need to step out of my comfort zone and give this a shot because so many people today experience that. And I'd like to know what it was that, how you came up, overcame it. Well, it was interesting. It's like there was portions of the job I knew that it was not a problem. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, it was the portion that people thought was going to be a problem. Okay. So managing trade shows, it was like, oh, trade mm -hmm. shows is very complicated. And I was like, I've, I've done events, I've done, I've done fashion shows, and there, there are books on how to do trade shows and webinars and all that stuff. I mean, that one, uh, I'm sure I can figure this one out. I don't think this is the hardest thing. It's the, the political thing that I was not sure, mm. you know, how to be so political. I know I'm, I, I usually get along with everybody. That's usually not a problem, but it's just to, to understand the agendas of different people and to understand that there's always layers before anything can happen, that you need to place something first and then even it doesn't make sense. So that was this whole aspect that I was wondering, do I have first the know-how and second, the patience? Yeah. And third, do, do I want to get myself into that? And so the more I was talking with the people and trying to understand what it was, and uh, then I decided, yeah, it, it is something I, I can and I know how to do, mm -hmm. and I should not doubt myself. I should allow myself to actually go and do it. 
And at, at the end, if something doesn't work out, I mean, you can always leave and start again. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not the end of anything. You know, I think you, I think this is the one thing people are afraid to allow themselves a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Or to try in case. Yeah. 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 And I think sometimes when you experience that feeling, it's almost your gut telling you, you have to take this opportunity. If you're feeling nervous or feeling like, I suppose, positive doubt. And what I mean by that is that you just don't think you're you're capable or have the abilities. Usually you're just downplaying yourself. And yeah. it means I need to take this mm. leap, step outside. It's funny. There's so many conversations going around this, like on like people that I follow in strategy and stuff like that at the moment on, you know, like when I started out in strategy, like I wrote strategy in <laughs> 74 of my decks titles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't know how to even explain that to c clients coming up. Like I, I was not good at that, but, you know, over time and now they're like references, you know, in that space and it's like yeah it's that 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 whole like not necessarily like fake it till you'll make it kind of thing because I'm not always like 100% you know for that but just allowing yourself to to try you know because like you said there's nothing like it's not the end of the world if it if things don't work out you can always try something new again start over something new you know yeah. so um yeah that's and I think we all have a big suitcase of transferable knowledge yeah Agreed. It might not be exactly this, but it's something you know, and then you just have to figure out how do I apply it to this situation? Yeah. It, it doesn't fit perfectly, but I know how to deal with a problem. I know how to find solutions. I know how to find resources. I know that if I don't know something, there's someone who knows how to do it. Mm. So let's find that person. Let's educate myself. Let's get trained on it. Uh, let's figure it out. You know, there's, uh, I always believe that a problem is a solution that we haven't found yet. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, LA, you've got quite the portfolio behind you, lots of experience in different fields. But what is it that makes you so proud to be part of this industry? It's the people in this industry. I have a hard time hearing every time people saying about the passion of people in our industry. You know, that is a passionate industry and everything. I think it's kind of like an overused word, you know, the, the, the passion. I think it's, it's a lot about the authenticity. It's about the, uh, the risk-taking. It's about the creativity of people. And it's about the um, emotion, the people wearing the emotion on their sleeves. And you, you get all of this in our industry, especially with the professionals. And I enjoy being with them. I enjoy working with business owners, with the hairstylists. I enjoy all of that. And I enjoy trying to help them find solutions that I know I have. I'm not a hairdresser. I mean, I work in a hair salon. I'm not a hairdresser. I'm never going to pretend I can teach them how to hold a comb. You know? But I can help them with business. I can help them with uh, leadership. I can help them with technology. I can help them with uh, even choosing the right location for their next business. I can help them with a, a lot of different things. But, and that's where I think it's, uh, it's exciting because there's knowledge that I have, knowledge that they have. And when you put it together, I think it's just helping everybody be successful, me included. I have to agree. When I first took up the job at Forest, people were like, you're working for a salon software. You've never worked in the industry. You don't know the industry and like you're not a hairstylist, but it, it, it's it's weird because even though we're a B2B company, it feels like it's B2C. Like it's so personable. There is that emotion. We're talking to people. We're not talking to corporations. Yeah. And yeah, I think just to ditto that, in fact, I absolutely admire that as well. 
I was actually asked that that exact question on a podcast myself uh, just a couple weeks ago, and it's I gave a similar answer, which is I think it's just like it's so it's so yeah the the, the connection with people, and I I personally just have never felt so connected with so many people from one single industry ever since yeah. I've entered this particular one, which is, yeah, fantastic. It's so true, though. Like, it's even why we do the podcast, because when you think, oh, I work for a software company, you think, oh, you're dealing with corporations or big companies the whole time. But it couldn't be further from the truth. We're, we're, we're a B2B business, but it feels like B2C. We're, we're working with people. We're, it's yes. relationship building and not many companies get that close to their clients. So it's it's so rewarding to kind of work for a company like Forrest and as well for myself and Zoe to be able to interview people like yourself then on the show and kind of strengthen that even further. Mm. Well, speaking of rewarding, I guess this ties you, you. You're really good with segues, Killian. Um, what has been what has been your proudest accomplishment uh, so far? And I suppose from within the beauty hair and beauty industry. Well, I, I think we we said it a little bit earlier, but I, I think it was really the year at the AB a year ago. The whole getting the industry together. Uh, because this is a very fragmented world. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's even though there's associations out there, there's many associations. Canada is very uh, sp special in a way. There's two provinces that are not uh, licensed. So professionals are not licensed in uh, British Columbia and in Quebec. Uh, in Ontario, there's a licensing that's been on hold for almost two years. In the other provinces, there's a licensing bodies, but not necessarily an association that represents. So it's a super fragmented industry. Then we end up with a global pandemic and you're trying to gather all these people to have at least a voice so you can be representative, you can be heard. And it's still, mm -hmm. it's, it's still a challenge because being so fragmented and I think governments not understanding the beauty industry uh, and making decisions pertaining to beauty industry that doesn't make sense. But I think this was... My proudest time in I, a lot of people thank me for trying so hard to get people together. That's really nice. That's so nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the next question was going to be, what would you say is the biggest challenge? But I think you've pretty much just covered that as well. It's the biggest challenge for the industry. <laughs> so well done on answering two oh, questions. Oh, there's more than one. that. <laughs> well, look, have you got any more challenges? Yeah. There's a very big challenge in our industry today. It's the black market or the underground economy. Mm. I think mm, this is yeah. probably the number one challenge out there because now there's thousands of salons or businesses that are closed. There's still people who are performing services and collecting money under the table. But and on an every single day, there might be, depending on who you ask, it's somewhere between 30 to 40, 45% of the beauty revenues that are under declared or not declared at all. So wow, it's actually massive. an, in, it's massive and it's an inequity because yeah. you have business owners that invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up a shop. They hire and train and pay apprentices to get them their, them getting their licenses. They actually grow their business and everything. And then suddenly that business vanishes in someone's garage basement. Not saying that people working from home are all illegal. There's, I know tons of people who are doing a very legal business from my home-based business, but there's so many others that are not doing this. So putting every single businesses out there at risk, making it harder for them to succeed yeah. because the, 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 the playing field is not even. I think that's the biggest issue we have. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because this comes up not only just like in Canada, but I've heard this, you know, being an issue in the US, in the UK, in Ireland. Like it just seems to be, you know, a global issue that ties the industry together, really. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that how we tackle that as an industry um, over the next couple of years, especially coming out of COVID and, and you know, people realizing we need more, you know, a more unified voice, I suppose, um, in so many different ways yep. for so many different reasons. Yeah. Um, but I guess the, this brings me into another another kind of question, but um, ties back into the current climate, I suppose. Like right now, everything or just about everything um, in the industry is getting a revamp because of COVID, because yeah. of these issues that we're realizing um, that we need to fix. And um, I was wondering, can you recall a time in your career where we as an industry challenged the status quo of it as a whole? Actually, you sent me that question prior to this call. I have six situations. I was not expecting that. <laughs> well, I'll try to... <laughs> yeah, I did not expect that. Yeah, we were kind of racking our brains going, how much of an answer are we going to get to this? But um, yes, we have time. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so I'll go quickly on the six. I think the first one, I mean, they're not in order of importance. They're more in uh, order of time when they yeah. happen in the timeline of my knowledge. Okay, so I, I think... One, the first one is probably when retail products were added to the hair salons, when uh, Jerry Redding and Paula Kent with Redkin and then with L'Oreal created Kerastase in Europe. So United States and Europe pretty much at the same time in the early 80s, uh, sorry, in the 70s, mm -hmm. created retail product lines. Before that, salons never sold retail. So that was a, a game changer. Suddenly there was products in the retail salon and we still have products and we still have those brands out there, but now we have 200, 300 different brands. Yeah. Then the next level was uh, when the salons became unisex salons. We went from the women beauty shop and then the barber shop, and then suddenly the walls came down and this became one business. Everybody had to adapt to be able to do services to both genders. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going in time. So, and then from there, we've added the full service salon. So in the uh, mid 80s, beginning of the 90s, where the salon and the spa suddenly merged as one as well. So we had all the skin services and the massage therapists and the salons coming together and it changed. Everybody wanted to have like the big salon and spa. Suddenly there was millions invested to create those big monster salon spa environment. And people found out that salon owners are not good at managing a spa and spa owners are not good at managing a salon. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of those just ended up crumbling down because they, they were two worlds that in theory can work very well together, but to work very well together needs a very good team of managers. Mm -hmm. So, and so for that reason, many of those don't exist anymore. And so we went back to now segregation barbers and uh, beauty shop. And now we have the whole, uh, it's not on my list, but I think it's something to actually really think about the whole uh, ungendered, uh, situation yes. right now, yeah, you know, where uh, we're looking at, well, why do we need to gender what we do? We cut hair, we treat skin, mm -hmm. we work on people, we don't work on a gender, we don't work on a color, we don't work on yeah. a culture, we work on skin or hair. So I think this is uh, where diversity inclusion right now is having an impact. Uh, so that's kind of like the new one. Then if I go back in time again, 14, 15 years ago, Groupon, I think Groupon is what killed the full-service salon and spa. Oh, 
marketplaces. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. no. Fifty <laughs> percent discount, seventy percent discount, eighty percent discount on services, and half that money was going to Groupon. The only person who made money is Groupon. Yeah, and businesses collapsed because of that. It pretty much killed the laser hair removal business because it became just、mm-hmm. a discounted business.、Uh, then, of course, e-commerce. We all know e-commerce is an issue, but especially Amazon, Sephora, Philunix, look fantastic. Alta, depending where you are in the world, all retailing professional products to everybody. So everybody had to adapt. I think it doesn't mean that、yeah. retail should not happen anymore in in salons, but I think salon has to be more focused about what they're doing and making sure that they have the right product, the right knowledge, and then they actually do talk about products to their clients. And my last one just happened last Monday,、uh, I think this Monday, where、uh, Amazon opened a hair salon in London. Yes, I've been hearing about that every. Where <laughs> I googled augmented reality in the salon this week, and everything that came up on the first three pages was Amazon. It's it's interesting it's because、mental. a lot of the augmented reality that they put into that salon is not new. You know, it、mm-hmm. already exists out there, but I think it's the combination of everything that Amazon can do. So they took the augmented reality that's already out there from other services, but they also brought in their touchless retail environment that they already created. The only thing、yeah. they have not automated yet is the service. Yeah. So Amazon has、yeah. not figured that one out yet. What? <laughs> what? Hopefully it, never. <laughs> hopefully never. Exactly. What was your initial thoughts when you saw that headline about the the Amazon salon? Because, as we all know, Amazon's in it for one thing only, and it's to get your data. So, kind of, what were your thoughts when you saw that they're now breaching into this market? Well, now I want to go back to look at Teb Gibson's salon in Los Angeles, where he、uh, he opened it as being the first connected business, like Alexa-driven salon, which is Alexa, if I'm、mm-hmm. not mistaken, is Amazon. <laughs> Yeah.、Uh, so it's kind of like a, a step further for Amazon. They tested with him some of some scenarios, some situation, and all this, and then they took it further with somebody else in London,、uh, with probably also connection with a manufacturer that I'm not going to name. You know, there's a manufacturer probably involved in there. So I know it's it's a test. It's something they're trying to learn. But Amazon, they look at verticals and they see、mm-hmm. money, and then this is where they go. They they kill the bookstore industry. They kill the travel industry pretty much, and then after that, it forces people to specialize. So it's a disruption that will cause creativity.、Mm, At this、yeah. point, it causes fear, and well, first is like people don't know, they don't understand, and then it will create、uh, some new creativity and all that. So, well, I, I'm I'm watching with lots of interest what's going on with that. Do you think it's something to worry about? Because quite often we always and Facebook do this a lot, where it's like Facebook release a new feature and it says, "Oh, the X, Y, and Z killer of the marketplace." Amazon tried to bring out something there during COVID, where it was they they called it the Etsy killer, where it's basically creating a platform for small independent traders. But it never actually plays out for them because I think people are more inclined to push back. On the big corporations and support the smaller people. So, just kind of from the glance of it, do you think this is? And you've kind of already touched off it, where it's going to force creativity. Do you think it's something to worry about? I believe that every trend has a counter trend. Yeah.、Hmm. So people like to resist the invasion of the giants. <laughs> <Okay> . So that that's where the whole local culture comes up. I mean, you have people who don't care. 
you have people who do a bit of both. There's convenience and support, and you have people who are real advocate of uh, you know supporting local. And I think this is just playing into that field. Mm. There is a client base out there that Amazon is their gods. Yeah. They just everything Amazon does. This is where they go. This is where they shop. This is what they do. I mean, they don't even bother looking at anywhere else. I mean, they're not even looking at Wayfair or buying furniture. They just go directly on Amazon, and they're not looking at IKEA. They're just going there. So there's a client base, and they have a crazy database. You know, they know who they can sell to. So they're just trying to figure out what more can they sell to them. At the same time, there's people who they know they they can't they haven't figured out they haven't got them as clients yet or very very few things. So I think it's for the salons f- focusing on the fact that they're a local business that they're a local economy that they hire local people that they pay local taxes that you know they're part of the heartbeat of the neighborhood of their uh, the main street of their town or whatever. I think this is this is the really important message. Um, that will keep customers going to the neighborhood salon. Well, look, salons are the backbone to the economy, and I think that's been more evident in the last twelve months when they were closed and everyone was crying out for the doors to reopen. So, I don't think <laughs> yeah. it's something to worry about too much. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of tech, actually, yeah. Um, why did you decide to make this shift and get into tech with specifically Forest in this case? Um, because it's quite it's quite different, you know. Well, I come from the retail world. Remember when I told my story mm-hmm. earlier, I mean, I was in fashion, but I worked in retail and yeah. I managed retail operations. So retail was, you know, it's all about tech because you need to know where your, where your products are. You need to buy the right stuff and you need to sell it on time. And especially when you're in fashion, your product life cycle is six weeks. It arrives in the store and six weeks later is on sale. Mm-hmm. So you start losing money with it in six weeks. You know, in the beauty industry, it's six years, okay. you know, maybe not six years, but it's like you have three years to sell that bottle or that jar, you know, pretty much. And then it just, it, it's not trendy. It's not uh, necessarily trending. It's a it, lot of staples. So when I came to the beauty industry, I was surprised to see there was so little actually tech in there. You know, when I first started them I mean, very few salons were actually uh, computerized. Mm-hmm. So I, the moment that I saw there was a way for, at Garistas, there was a way to uh, manage some of uh, the products that I was putting in the salon and knowing their sales, knowing their mins and their max and knowing the capacity of their products and how to maximize, you know, what they were doing in terms of retail. I was interested in tech in the beauty industry right from that moment. And then as hmm. a consultant, it was important because that's where the data was. You know, that's yeah. where I could tell, you know, each, uh, the, the stylists and then the, the, the business, mm, yeah. the, the appointments, the, the database and knowing, you know, how many emails, how many cell phones they have and the, the, the quality of that and all. So it's, I've always been very interested and very involved in understanding it. Um, then when I went back at L'Oreal, I was, I implemented a panel of salons that we were trying to connect multiple salons uh, to gather uh, street information. So to know where the industry was going, to know uh, the average sales transactions, not knowing specifics of one salon, but trying to have a better view of the industry. Um, and you know that's many years ago already now, and technology was not that ready for it. So it was always, I was always paying attention to, and when at the ABA, when it ended, then I was like, okay, my next move, 
has to be in tech. This is where I want to be. This is where I'm going. I don't want to be selling another shampoo line. I don't want to be selling another color line. I, you know, I, I need to go into a field that I know I, I love, I understand, and I know how I can help people benefit from. So with that in mind then, what would you like to see salons starting to do more of now? Like we're already seeing they're becoming so tech savvy with the introduction of technologies. Even if we were to take the simple scenario from like pen and paper to now offering online booking, something so simple has been going for a few years. Tracking color with, you know, Vish and, and, you know, other brands like that. Yeah. Becoming more data aware, being able to, again, like you were saying, reduce that life cycle of the products because by the time you bring it in you're able to manage your inventory through databases and kind of know what you're selling more and less of but what would you like to see salons doing more now whether that's a case of using technology to get there or using other means well i think salons that are most salons still with technology have no idea of their real cost of doing business Mm. so even if you increase your revenue, if you have no idea what your cost is, you may increase revenue on some lost leaders instead of revenue generators. You know, people think they make money with color. They don't always make money with color. Very often there's a lot of waste and there's undercharging and there's uh, very variable pricing and all of that. So at the end, when you study it properly, you find out that this might not be as profitable as it is. So there's technology, like you just said, uh, Zoe, there's Vision, there's other people doing the same thing, you know, that uh, help you to manage waste in color. So you actually use the right amount of product because it's a cost, it's a very costly resource. You know, restaurants know exactly, they weigh everything. When you go to the restaurant, the broccoli in there is actually weight. You know how how much weight is going to be and the steak and everything is the same from one service to the next. You, You know exactly, they know their cost. Our salons still don't know all their costs. Um, then after that, it's like revenue, how to, man- to generate more revenue. But I think one, the second mistake is people don't look at their retention. Because a client loss costs you way more than uh, acquiring a client. Yeah. Because a client loss comes with collateral damage as well. Because very often that client has ramifications, has a network. So every client that you lose may actually gather with them a handful of other clients to wherever they've gone. So the number one problem is uh, when you look at it, I've worked with many salons like, oh, I need to Hmm. get more clients. I was like, why are you losing clients? So let's find out that first. So what's the issue? Is that the quality of the service? Is that that your pricing is not consistent? Whatever it is, the reason that would be that you're not communicating with them properly. There's some natural attrition but there's a lot of, uh, which is a small portion of the reason why you lose people. The major reason is something that's happening within the business. So I think you have to figure this out as well. And in order to figure it out, you need to be able to track those people. So yeah. this is where technology comes in again. You need to know who came in, when they came in, who they were serviced with, uh, what happened the last time, and how, how long ago was it since the last time they came in. So this is where technology is important and all of that put together. So don't they say it It costs something like six to 10 times more to attract a new client than it does to actually just retain your clients, which again, backs up why it's so important to look after the clients you have rather than constantly seeking new ones. Yeah. And at one time I seen this statistics and I've used it in training with salons. Anytime we all have 
two backup plans. So if you ask any person out there, she already, or any, any man or woman or any person out there has two backup plans, like two hairdressers. If this one actually disappears, this one is sick, this one cannot see me, this one actually destroys my hair or whatever reason, I don't have to do a research. I already know who is my first and my second backup plan. Yeah. Because I've done that research already. That research is ongoing consistently. So you have to understand that you have to win your client every single time. You need to win the next visit. Every time they come to you, you need to justify while they come again. You can never take them for granted. That's so, so true. Um, how do you see, well, I suppose this is the last question um, before we hit you with our thought starter mm -hmm. question. But how <laughs> do you see your shift from consulting, advocating to moving into tech specifically, uh, you know, in this moment with Forrest? What made Forrest a compelling choice to join forces with? And what do you hope to bring as a perspective uh, now newly appointed GM of Canada and, and with your years of experience from within the industry? Well, I think what I, not I think, is the reason why Forrest made sense for me is the people. I'm, I'm a people person. I mean, I met with Ronan, with Sylvie, with Barry, with Patricio before making my mm -hmm. decision. You know, it's just like the people I spoke to. Uh, I actually participated in one of the uplift and I looked at the interaction of people together. So I saw that there was this, uh, this love brand that existed already and the values of the company, you know, the, the service with excellence, I think. I'm not going to try to say it in Irish. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I think all of that to me made lots of sense, mm -hmm. you know, and this is the reason why Forest to me is the right place to be. And I believe that Forest is for uh, the businesses out there, the right place to be as well. Well, that's amazing. amazing. And I'm so yeah. glad to hear. Yeah. And now for our thought starter question of the week. What do you appreciate most about your life right now and why? Um. The natural thought when you are running a business is coming from a place of desperation to like drive performance and drive business, right? But giving staff feedback is hard, isn't it? Well, the process of empowering teams to reach their goals and targets just got that much easier. Celebrate having a competitive edge with Forrest's new staff performance tool. Give your team access to key metrics like revenue and transactions for services, product retail and client booking. The new performance report is a form of way power that you're giving them and saying like, here's information in your hands. It's 24-7 access to their KPIs, all from the Forrest Go mobile app. Visit forrest.com for more information. And this is going to be personal, I think, is to be able to live in the world where um, my family structure is actually accepted and is able to be who we are, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Most people who know me already know this. My life is an open book, but for people who don't know me, well, first, you've probably understood that already. I'm a gay man. I'm married with uh, a man of indigenous descent. We've adopted two kids, two kids, one who is mixed race and the other one who's transgender. So looking at all of that, yeah. there's diversity and inclusion today is a topic that's a daily topic in our house. Uh, so I, I looked at this not as a white man. I look at it like a person who has his house full of diversity and inclusion on every single day. And I think that's 
that's what my life is about. And I know there's a lot of struggles and there's a lot of battles to still be had out there. Um, but at the same time, there's hope because things are happening. Things are moving uh, a bit at a time. Everything can move faster, but at least conversations out there are getting more and more um, positive and also more, um, let's say, towards finding the right solutions. Elaine, I think that, like, I honestly don't think we could have got a better answer for that. That was <laughs> Thank you. absolutely a beautiful statement in general, but a perfect way for us to finish off this show. So thank you so much for joining us on Forest FM. It's been quite an educational trip for me, like your, um, your timeline of the evolution of the salon. It's stuff that I would have just taken for granted as a client walking in these days. So it's, it's great to see just how far the industry has come in those last 60 years. So thank you so much and can't wait to work with you in Forest. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So one thing Alain mentioned a few times throughout this episode, and we just wanted to make a quick link back to, is diversity and inclusion and the importance of that. Um, if you're interested in learning more about how you can make your salon uh, more gender affirming, a safer space for clients, um, you can check out the episode we just released recently with Kristen Rankin and Lauren Wilde. So Kristen Rankin, the founder of The Dress Code Project, and Lauren Wilde, uh, an ambassador of The Dress Code Project. And uh, it is available on all podcasting platforms wherever you get your podcasts one last thing before we sign off don't forget to head over to force.com forward slash fm where you can get all of the show's transcripts and subscribe to the show's email newsletter which gets sent out weekly on wednesdays uh, we also have video episodes now at the end of every month so you can catch those episodes wherever you catch your podcasts usually but also on youtube and as always if you want to share your thoughts on forced fm or this episode specifically send us an email at forced fm at forest.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, stay safe and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music? makes great moments. Forest FM, the Salon Owners Podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Get your clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.